Let's turn to um, two places. Let's turn to Proverbs 18. And James 3. Proverbs 18 and James 3. If you want to give this a title, you can uh, call it uh, Say What God Said. Say What God Said. Say What God Said. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to pray while you're finding these scriptures. Father, I just thank you for the word. Father, I'm asking that you will give me utterance by the Holy Spirit to speak accurately and with clarity. Father, I'm asking that a revelation knowledge come forth unhindered. Father, I'm asking that uh, impartations of the Spirit come forth and that we will be doers of the word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name, Father, give us ears to hear, spirits to receive, eyes to see. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Proverbs 18, 21. Let's, let's read this out loud together. Death and life Let's read it out loud together. Got a different version here. That's okay. That's all right. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Uh, let's turn to our scripture in James. Verse 2, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Now here when it talks about a perfect man, this is not talking about someone who never makes a mistake. This word perfect refers to development. It refers to uh, maturity, complete. So he's saying a complete, mature believer is someone who is able to bridle their tongue. This is how we measure spiritual growth, really. It's not how many years you've been going to church and you know how many churches you've started or uh, how many books you've written or whatever. Spiritual growth, according to the word here, is, in, is measured by how long can you go without missing it in what you say. If you can go days without missing it in what you say, then you progress on. You know, you may just be getting started out. When you get to where you can go weeks and you can go months 
without missing it and what you say you know you are growing spiritually you are you are maturing you're you're maturing as a believer he says behold we put bits in the horses mouths that they may obey us and we turn about their whole body behold also the ships which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds yet they are turned about with a very small helm whithersoever the governor listeth. He's saying in the same way that you can take the helm of a, of a great ship and you can turn that ship around, so is your tongue and your life. Is it possible that with your tongue you can turn your life in a whole different direction? According to the word, yes. Now, if he was, if he was uh, writing this today, he probably wouldn't use these examples. He would probably say, like the steering wheel in your car, you turn your car a different direction. And so is the tongue in your body. So is the tongue in your mouth, even though it's one of the smallest members of your body. The same way you take the steering wheel and you turn your car around a different direction, your tongue can turn your life around in a whole different direction. It can be good or it can be not good. Now, to most people, words are used uh, primarily to communicate how they feel and what they think. And they think that's really the only usage of words. I tell somebody how I feel, I tell them what I think, I tell them what I'm going to do, and that's pretty much it. For most people, words are nothing more than just a means of expressing how they feel and communicating their opinion to someone else. But God created the worlds with his words. And you are creating your world with your words. Man's ability to speak and choose words is what sets you apart from all the rest of God's creation. N nothing else in all of God's creation is able to choose and speak words. So only you have the ability to speak words and believe what you say. So when you're born again, your spirit contains all the spiritual forces of God. You were created in God's likeness and image. And like God, we're supposed to use our words to change our world, to change our circumstances, to change whatever's out of line. Now, uh, let's, let's just pop back very briefly over to Genesis 1. And we'll see how God set this all up. You, you know the, the story here. Uh, God released his faith with words. And in the uh, King James Version, it says, let there be light. In the actual Hebrew, it says, light be, or light become. Uh, then he goes on down here. He separated the dry lands from the waters, and it was so. He spoke the lights in the heavens, and he said it was good. And he comes on down and he, he creates, uh, you know, the 
sea, sea animals and sea life and so forth. And then he comes down to verse 26. And we get to day six of creation. On day six of creation, God created man. His ultimate masterpiece. The highest uh, of all his creation on the sixth day. Verse 26, he said, he said, Let us make man in our image. After our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the cattle, over all the earth, everything that creeps upon the earth. Like Charles Capp says, you have dominion over creeps. <laughs> Amen? God creeps. Uh, what would you say here? Uh, well, it's ungodly what I'm thinking. Uh, <laughs> A creep would be um, oh, uh, yeah, you uh, somebody untoward. Yeah, 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 a nasty, nasty people. Yeah, creep. We we creeps. Yeah. So uh, so even though this is talking about literal creeping things, we God gave them dominion over literal creeping animals. We have dominion over creepy people. <laughs> yeah. Amen. So. This is when God, God created the spirit of man. When he, when he spoke these words, he was speaking uh, the inner man uh, of Adam. And he goes on down here uh, to uh, verse, let's go down to verse 31. Well, 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female. God calls man, male and female, created he them. Verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Underline the words, very good. He said, the light's good, and the land and the sea's good, and the... And the uh, Sea life's good, and the plants are good, and it was so. But when he got to day six and created man, his ultimate masterpiece, he said, today is very good. Hallelujah. And then on down in Genesis 2, 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. This is his body. This is not the inside of, this is not a spirit man. This is his body is formed from the dust of the earth and breathed in his nostrils and the breath of life and man became a living soul. Now in the complete Jewish Bible it says he became a living being. That's what it says in the NIV. Okay. Now we're, we're establishing this uh, authority and dominion we have uh, on the earth. The ability to choose and speak words. God created us this way. That's what we're setting a foundation for here. God imparted his life into Adam from within himself. So when God created us in his own image, God is a triune being. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are a triune being. We are spirit, soul, and body. So... I have uh, these five little books at home 
called the chubash, something like that. It's probably not the right way to pronounce it. But it's the first five books of the Bible in separate books. Um, and you know in, in the, the, the Jewish religion, uh, the Torah, is called the Torah, is the first five books of the Bible. And traditionally, that's on a scroll. And all five books are on one scroll. But these are five separate books in a set. Well, I looked up this verse in this Chumash, uh, Hebrew um, write it, first five books of the Bible. And it includes Rabbi's commentary from the Hebrew. And it says, Genesis 2 verse 7 says, and he breathed, he breathed into his nostrils the soul of life. And it goes on to say, this soul made man a living being, a speaking spirit. God created man a speaking spirit. God is a speaking spirit. You're a speaking spirit. I'm a speaking spirit. Accordingly, the life that is unique to man and which only God could breathe into him is the rational soul that includes the power of intelligent speech. This is what sets us apart from all of God's creation spiritually. They're obvious physical things that set us apart. So we are speaking spirits created in the likeness of God. And like God, we're supposed to be using our words to create a blessed life, to change our world, to change our circumstances, and bring them in line with the Word of God by saying what God says. That's why having God's Word is so powerful. It's such a blessing. He has given us His Word to speak, to change these things. He's, he's, given, he's told us what to say. It's kind of like an open-the-book test. He's told us what to say. The problem is, we've been listening to the world out there. We're surrounded by negative people. We're surrounded by the world going in totally the opposite direction, speaking death and destruction and doom and gloom. And we come to the place where you just begin to get conditioned to that and you begin to think it's normal. And it's not normal. It's not normal at all. You know, there are some species of birds, like uh, minor birds, some parrots, you know, people will say, well, birds can talk. Birds can't talk. They, they, have, um, they don't have vocal cords, for one thing. They, and, but most of all, they don't have the ability to choose and speak words like you do. All they can do is repeat what they heard somebody else say. When you hear a parrot say, close the door, it's only because they heard somebody else say, close the door. <laughs> you know what I mean? And somehow... to me in the hospital. They were saying, you can't do this, you can't do that, you mustn't do that. And I listened to what God says, and I was not frightened. Amen. And I did it. Amen. And he strengthened me. Amen. I forgot Amen. to say earlier on. He it was his strength. Yeah. It got me to do it in the first place. Yeah. Amen. The faith, faith of God rose up on the inside of you. Amen. And that's why you got out early. 
Yes. Praise God. Amen. Yes. Amen. You, you weren't influenced by what all they were saying. No. You were influenced by him here. Yes. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Hallelujah. So does it matter what you say? Yes. According to the scripture, it's a matter of death and life. Words are creative forces. They are determining the quality of your life and the quantity of your life. Words contain life and death, blessing and cursing. Now, uh, let's go back to this scripture in Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Whatever you love to talk about is what's going to be produced in your life. That's what this is saying. Whatever you love to talk about, that's what's going to be produced in your life. People that love to talk about their illnesses and their pains and aches and their doctor's appointments and all that, that's pretty much what they have. Um, Now the word power here in this verse is uh, the Hebrew word for hand. Hand. It means delivered into one's hands or given into one's power. So if you say, I'm putting this business in your hands, you're saying, you have the power and the rule over this business. That's what you're saying. So this this verse says, the power of the tongue has the power of, the power of the tongue has the power and the rule over life and death. The tongue has the power and the rule over life and death. That's what this verse is saying. The New Century Version says, what you say can mean life or death. Those who speak with care will be rewarded. The message paraphrase Bible says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. The Good News Translation says, What you say can preserve life or destroy it. So you must accept the consequences of your words. Now notice in in all three of these uh, different translations, notice the word you. It says what you say can mean life or death. You choose. What you say can preserve life. You must accept the consequences of your words. Does this sound like it's all up to God who lives long and who dies prematurely? Does it sound like it's all up to God who's blessed and who's poor and who fails? No. There are spiritual laws in operation here. There are spiritual laws in operation. Um, Let's well, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read Romans 8, 2. And this tells us what the two spiritual laws are that are simultaneously operating in the earth at the same time. Romans 8, 2 says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. 
So we got two spiritual laws working here. We got the law of life, and Jesus is the Lord over that law. And we got the law of sin and death, and guess who's Lord over that law? The destroyer, the enemy. So your words either activate the law of life, or your words activate the law of sin and death over you. When you say what God says, the law of life in Christ Jesus, it lifts you above the curse that's on this earth. And you experience blessing and divine health and protection when other people do not. What if you say, uh, my business is increasing, you know, buyers are coming to me, God's promoting me, uh, my income's no longer fixed, God's multiplying me. That's what's, that's what's going to be produced in your life. Now, you don't just say that one time and forget about it. This, this is a way of life. But according to Proverbs 18, 21, that's what's going to be produced in your life by the words of, of your mouth. Now, when we, when we say the word cursing, we think of four-letter words that are profanity most of the time. When, when you hear the word curse or cursing. But in the Bible, that's not what cursing means. Curse, curse or cursing in the Bible refers to destruction, downing something to failure. Downing something to, to doom and failure. That's what cursing in the Bible means. Uh, you can write this down. We won't turn there. But Deuteronomy 30, 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, you choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. Can you see? This is how God set it up. It's, it's up to us, really. We're the ones with dominion on this earth. We have dominion here. He said, I've set blessing and cursing before you. You choose which one you want. And it, it all has to do with what you say. Now, how are we going to choose? We're going to choose by saying what God says about us. We're going to choose by speaking right words. You know, uh, God said, if you say what I say about you, I say you're blessed. If you say you're blessed, that's what's going to be produced in your life. If you say something contrary to that, you'll be destroyed and you'll fail. And then people can't make the connection, I just don't see why this is happening to me. And, that, and, and the devil has got them blinded, uh, and he cannot see these spiritual laws working so that people can make the connection. G, uh, the word says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, it's up to you. In other words, it's in your hand. It's in your power. If you want to be blessed, then be very selective about the words you speak. The people are going to choose whether they experience blessing or curses and failure by the words they speak. That's what God was saying to this people in Deuteronomy. Now let's turn, uh, I'll let you turn over to 1 Peter 3. It's just uh, right near James there. Just 
three or four pages over to the right from where you've marked in James. First Peter three. Anybody want a good life? She tells us right here how to get it. For he that will love life and see good days, let him do what? Refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Now this is a quotation from Psalm 34. That's where it's originally found is Psalm 34. But Peter is referring back to this scripture. Though I looked up the word guile. It means deceit or deception. Concealing or mis misrepresenting the truth. Some translations say don't tell lies. You know? But I think, I think uh, deceit is probably a little bit better uh, translation of the word there. But that guile, I guess, that's not a word we would use anymore. That's an old English word. But it means deceit or concealing or misrepresenting the truth. Refrain your tongue from evil and your lips from deceit, from misrepresenting the truth. Why would anybody damn and destroy their health? Why would anybody damn and destroy their business? Why would anybody damn their car and their computer? Especially if that's the only one you've got and you're totally dependent on it. You know what I mean? The problem here, Proverbs 6, 2. Thou art snared by the words of your mouth. Proverbs 6, 2. Write it down. Thou art snared by the words of thy mouth. People are saying things that are holding them in bondage and they're not even aware of it. They are activating spiritual forces in their lives and they don't even know it. They say what they have and they keep having what they say. You, you remember I, a, a while back I told you the story about the cigarette man. And he, this young man came to uh, one, uh, you know, a faith minister, and he said, uh, he said, I'm desperate to stop smoking. He said, I really want to stop smoking, but I can't stop smoking. I have tried everything. No matter what I do, I can't stop smoking. I really want to stop. I, you know, can you help me? And in the course of three or four minutes, he must have said 15 times, I can't stop smoking. I can't stop smoking. I can't stop smoking. You remember that? Well, some of you weren't here. So I'll, I'll, I'll carry on so you can see the point here. And uh, so the minister said, uh, he said, don't pray for me. I've already been prayed for lots of times. Nothing works. He said, no, I'm not even going to pray for you. He said, will you do what I tell you to do? He said, well, if I can, I will. He said, you can do it. He said, never say that again. He said, never say what? 
never say, I can't stop smoking. And he said, but I can't stop. <laughs> you know, I can't stop. And he said, see there, you said it again. And, and, and he said, he took him by the shoulders, never again say, I can't stop smoking. And he said, will you do what I tell you to do? He said, well, you know, you know, I, I'll, I, I will, you know. But he was very hesitant, you know, because you could tell he, had, he was at the end of his rope. I mean, he had really tried everything. And he said, when you, every time you buy a package of cigarettes, you say, thank you, Lord, I'm free from cigarettes. Every time you take a cigarette out of the package and you light it up, you say, thank you, Lord, I'm free from cigarettes. Every time you take a puff, thank you, Lord, I'm free from cigarettes. Thank you, Lord, I'm free from cigarettes. Every time you put one out, thank you, Lord, I'm free from smoking. And he says, but I'm going to be smoking. How can I say I'm free from smoking when I'm smoking? He says, forget that. Will you say it? And he said, but I'll be smoking. Mm -hmm. And he said, just, you know, he said, now, let's go through this. Tell me what you're going to say. Well, and he finally got him to say, I'm free from smoking. And he's very reluctant about it. But he said, he said, now, will you do what I'm telling you to do? He said, yeah, oh, okay, so he left. Three weeks, three or four weeks later, he came back to a meeting, and as soon as he walked in the door, the minister saw him. He had this huge smile on his face. He was lit up like a light bulb, and he knew, he knew. And as, as, as soon as the service was over, this guy made a beeline up to the minister. He said, guess what? He said, I don't even have to ask. He said, tell me how it happened. He said, I'm free. I'm totally free. He said, I did what you said. He said, I was smoking, and I kept saying, thank you, Lord, I'm free from cigarettes. He said, it was really strange. I felt really strange because I felt like I was lying. How can I say I'm free when I'm standing here smoking? But it was really strange. Isn't it sad that faith is a strange concept to Christians? Yes. And, and he, 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 said, he said, I did what you said. Every time I lit one up, I kept saying, thank you, Lord, I'm free from cigarettes. Every time I put one out, thank you, Lord, I'm free from cigarettes. He said, I just kept doing it. And after several weeks, it just became so automatic and so natural that I was just smoking and saying it and smoking and saying it, and, you know, just automatic. And he said, one day, I was standing on the street corner waiting to cross the street, smoking a cigarette, and he said, I took a puff, and I said, thank you, Lord, I'm free from cigarettes. And he said, something hit me. And he said, I knew that I knew that I knew I was free. And he said, I put that cigarette out. I have never wanted another one. I don't even think about a cigarette. Now, folks, if that will work on cigarettes, do you suppose it would work on anything else? Yes, everything. It would work on any kind of addiction, wouldn't it? It would work on 
food addictions, drink addictions, shopping addictions, what, whatever. You know what I started saying? Thank you, Lord, I'm free from fear. Thank you, Lord, I'm free from fear. And you fill in the blank. For your life, whatever, whatever needs to be changed, thank you, Lord, I'm free from, and you fill in the blank. Hallelujah. So if this will work, if this will work on smoking, it'll work on anything. What was he doing? He was activating the faith principle of calling things that are not as though they were. He was calling freedom to him. He was calling deliverance to him. And this is the strange concept of faith to Christians. This is the strange, puzzling concept to Christians. You call what you don't have. If, you don't, if, if you're bound by cigarettes, you've got to call freedom. You've got to call what you don't have, not what you do have. And, and, and every time he was saying, I can't quit smoking, I can't quit smoking, he was just reaffirming what he already had. He was doing nothing about getting the freedom to him. Does anybody in here have a dog? Used to. What's, what's, a, what's his name or her name? Tally. She's Tally. a greyhound. Okay. Rescue. Let's say you go, out, you go outside and you want to feed Tally. You go outside, Tally's not here. You say, Tally's not here. I'd sure like to feed Tally. She, she might be hungry, but uh, she's not here. Uh, well, why don't you call her? Oh, no. I don't believe in calling her. If she's not here, I can't call her here. If she's not here, then I can only say that she's not here. Yeah, I know she's not here, so why don't we call her? Oh, no, we don't believe that in our church. We don't preach that in our church that you call, you call Tally if she's not here. We just preach that if Tally's not here, we have to say she's not here. Right. If she's not here, how are we going to get her here? <laughs> well, we're just trusting God. If it's his will, she'll come. Now that's the way most Christians are operating, isn't it? When it comes to whatever needs to be changed in their life. We're just believing if it's God's will, it will come. Folks, nobody would ever do that when it comes to calling your dog. If your dog is not there, you call the dog to come to you and you never think twice about it. But you take the very same principle and you apply it to healing and you apply it to money and you apply it to addictions or whatever it, whatever it is you need in your life. You take the same principle and you call it to you and all of a sudden people think you're in error and you're preaching heresy. This is how confused and, and, and mixed up the devil has people in their thinking. Their very deliverance, they will not call. They're refusing to call their own deliverance. And this is how Satan has people bound up by their own words. Hallelujah. Now we're going to look 
And uh, we're, we're going to look at an important principle along these, this line. Your words carry more weight in your life than anybody else's, including God's words. Now, you may be a bit hesitant about that at the moment, but we're going to look at some scripture in the New Testament and the Old Testament along this line. Let's turn to Matthew 10. Let's see what Jesus said about this. Matthew 10. Verse um, 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Can you see that what Jesus says to the Father about us depends on what we say about Him? What Jesus says to the Father about us depends on what we say about Him. So what Jesus says to the Father is affected by what we say about Him. Is this something that's being taught in most churches? No. No? Your words carry more weight in your life than anybody else's. Let's uh, just look over there at the next chapter, uh, two chapters, 12. Matthew 12. Jesus is still talking along these lines. Verse 36. But I say unto you, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. This is pretty serious stuff, isn't it? <laughs> what Jesus is talking about here. What, what reference was that, Jesus? That was uh, Matthew 12, 36. He says, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. This word idle means non-productive, non-working words. Words that don't benefit you. Words that don't, you know, produce anything. Our words are supposed to benefit us. Our words are supposed to be producing blessing in our life, health in our life. Our words are not just to express what we think and how we feel. Our words are supposed to be benefiting us. Verse 37. By, for by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. By God's words? By God's words you'll be justified? No, by your words. By your words you'll be justified. By your words, you'll be condemned. Now, in religious circles, that that's not what people maintain. They'll say, no, 
God is sovereign. God is sovereign, and, and what he says is going to come to pass. It doesn't matter what you say. Not true, folks. Not Bible. And we're going to look at it here before we finish today. Is that what Jesus said here? Did he say whatever God says is going to come to pass anyway, regardless of what you say? No? He said what? Your words you will be justified by your words, you'll be condemned. Let's, let's just take an example. God says, uh, I have sent Jesus. He went to the cross. He took your sin. He paid the penalty for your sin. He took your place so that you would not have to take that punishment and the penalty of spiritual death and going to hell and so forth. He did that. That's what God says. What if you say, I don't believe that, I don't accept that, and it's not true. Are you going to be saved anyway? So in that instance, whose words carried the most weight in your life? Your words. Absolutely. Absolutely. So God created us speaking spirits, with a free will, and we have a choice. And if we say something and allow it, he allows it. Now let's turn over to uh, Hebrews 3. That's not too far from your um, marker in James. Hebrews 3, verse 1. Hebrews 3, 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, Partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Some of some of the translations may con, may say confession, the high priest of our confession or profession. It's the same word in the Greek. But uh, some translations use profession, some use confession. The Greek word is homologio, and it means to say the same thing. And in this context, it's talking about saying the same thing that God says. Jesus is the apostle and high priest of, of, of what we say that's in agreement with what God says. When we say what God says, Jesus is the apostle and high priest over those, those words to see to it that they come to pass. He has been licensed to see to it, to watch over those words and see to it that they come to pass in your life. When God says, I'll protect you, no harm will befall you, no plague will come near your dwelling, and you say the same thing, you say, God is my refuge and my fortress, then Jesus is the high priest over those words, and you authorize Jesus to bring protection into your life. But what if, you know, what if you only ever said what God said about your life? What if you only ever said what God said? He always causes me to triumph. If God be for me, who will be against me? You know, he's ordering my steps. He guides me. He supplies all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I have abundance and there is no lack. And I mean not just saying it in church. 
saying it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's where we got to get to. And, and if somebody brings bad news on Wednesday afternoon, then you bite your lip and you say, God is with me. He is for me. He is in me. I am not alone and I will prevail. Jesus is the apostle and high priest over those words and he will cause them to come to pass. But what if you say, uh, you know, nobody can increase in this economy and my arthritis is killing me. Who, whose words, who's, who's Lord over those words? Who have you empowered to bring those to pass? Yeah, somebody else is high priest, is watching over those words to bring them to pass. Turn over just a page or two to Hebrews 10, 23. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold fast to the problem. Is that what it says? No, the hoop. No. Let us hold fast the profession or the confession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised this is not saying what God says in the morning and saying what the devil says in the afternoon this is not saying what God says on Monday you know or on, in church and then saying the problem on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday that's wavering that's not being faithful to hold. That's not holding fast. That's wavering. We are to be consistent and only say what he said. Now, let's go back to Exodus. Let's look at an Old Testament example along these lines. Exodus 14. We know this story. God's people have been in bondage and slavery for about 400 years in Egypt. Egypt was the most powerful nation in the earth at that time, uh, economically, militarily. Pharaoh was worshipped as a god. He had a grip on these people. There was no way in the natural that they could get out of the situation. There was no way out. But God intervened on their behalf, and after the locusts and the darkness and the frogs and uh, you know the all all these other plagues that came on them, they were more than happy to see the Israelites go. Pharaoh was more than happy to let them go. And they gave them their best clothes, and they stuffed their pockets full of money, and they went on their way. They gave them their gold bracelets, they gave them their gold watches, they gave them their gold rings and their gold necklaces. And the Bible says there was not a feeble one among them. They went out healthy and wealthy, just like us. Amen? Hallelujah. 
uh, on our way to our wealthy place provided by God, just like these people. But we're, we're not going to be like them. But at every stage they came to, every time they ran up against adversity, they began to talk negative, they began to talk failure, they began to talk defeat and death. And in verse uh, Exodus 14, 10, uh, after they after they left, after they gave them all their gold and all their best clothes and uh, stuffed their pockets full of money, they suddenly realized, whoa, we have made a huge mistake. We're going after these people and we're going to get our stuff back and we're going to get them back. So here they come after the Israelites. And then when the Israelites in verse 11, they, here comes Pharaoh and the Egyptians after them. And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Now, they're only three days away from their wealthy place. And they start jumping to conclusions and they start uh, expecting the worst. They start assuming the worst. Um, you know, what do they say? We're going to die out here. We're going to die out here. They're, they're prophesying their own doom and gloom. But God had mercy on them, and he, he delivered them from the Egyptians. He swallowed them up. And this story proves that... Uh, Miracles do not produce faith. These people saw miracles like nobody had ever seen miracles, and it didn't, it didn't produce one ounce of faith in these people. I mean, every time they came up against adversity, here they, here they went again. We're all going to die. Now let's go over to Exodus 16. But now they've made it. They've made it. Uh, they're, you know, they're out in the wilderness. They're, they've come to the edge of the promised land. And the whole congregation of children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Here they go again. They've run up against adversity. Now they've got no water. And now here they go again. When we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full, for ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly. They're reminiscing about the good times of Egypt. You gotta be kidding. Good what good times? They were slaves, they were wearing rags, forced labor, rationed food, beat, and they they they're talking about the good times back in Egypt. Now, folks, this is just, you know, this is what unthankfulness, fear, and unbelief does to you. It darkens your understanding, and you begin to forget about all the good things God's ever done for you. And that's what happened to these people. They're on the brink of having the best food, the best houses, and the best clothes they've ever had. And here they are. You know, saying, why did you bring us out here to kill us? We're all going to die. Here they go again, we're all going to die. Folks, 
Your best days are in front of you, not behind you. Your blessing is in front of you, not behind you. And every time they came up against opposition, we're going to die. We're all going to die out here. What do they have on the brain? Dying. They got dying on the brain. No matter what God does for them, they got dying on the brain, and they got dying in their mouth. That's even more dangerous. They got dying in their mouth. Now let's turn over to Numbers 13. And we carry on. We pick up the same story over in Numbers 13. 25. The 12 spies have been sent out and they've come back. By the mercy of God, they've got to the border of the promised land. It's obvious that God wants them to go into the land because he brought them out in the first place to bring them in. It's obvious he wants them to occupy this land and possess it. Uh, Numbers 13, 26. And they went and came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the children of Israel unto the wilderness of Paran to Kadesh and brought back word unto them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Now if it was true, God said it was a good land and they brought back physical evidence to prove to them it was a good land. If what God said about it being a good land was true, then why wouldn't it be true that he would enable them to possess it, regardless of what was there? But they, you know, they didn't see it. Verse 27, and, and they told him, um, 27, yes, surely it's a land that flows with milk and honey. Verse 28, nevertheless, yes, it's a good land, but, and now they begin to talk about the problem. And verse 29, they go on to talk about the Amalekites, the Jebusites, all the giants. There are giants everywhere. Now they're talking, they're talking about the wall cities. They're talking about the enemy. They're talking about the giants. Are they saying what God said? No. God said, you are well able to go up and possess it. They are not saying what God says. They've totally forgotten about what God said. And what, what those ten men saw, what they felt, and what they heard has totally overridden everything that God said to them about that land and about it being their land. Verse 30, And Caleb still the people, before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb said, shut up. I don't want to hear anymore. We are well able. God said. He's saying what God said. Caleb's saying what God said. God said we are well able to go up and possess it. Verse 31. But the men that went up said, we are not able to go up against these people. So you got Caleb saying what God said, let's go up and possess it. You got the other ten saying, no, we are not able. They're not saying what God said. They're saying something else. 
Verse 33, there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, so forth. They're assuming the worst. Sorry, I'll skip verse 32. And they brought up an evil report. All the people that said something different from what God said, God called it an evil report, an unbelieving report, a negative report. Uh, chapter 14, verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. When you are in doubt and unbelief, you cry. When you are in faith, you're believing God, you're expecting God, you're in expectation, you're excited, and you have joy. That's how you can tell the difference. These people cried all night. They're in doubt and unbelief. They've had a good report about the land. Are they excited about it? No, they're not excited about it. They're, they're at home crying about it. Verse 2 and 3. And all the children of Israel murmured against uh, Moses and against Aaron. And the whole congregation said unto them, Here we go again. Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? You know, why? Why do we have to deal with this? Why do we have to go through this? We don't need this. It's all your fault, Moses, and, uh, you know, it's all your fault. Let's go to, uh, let's go over to verse 10. Um and Joshua and Caleb now, you know, they're getting quite frustrated. They began to tear their clothes when they started hearing people say these kind of things. And in verse 10, But all the congregation bade uh, stone them, talking about Joshua and Caleb, all the congregation wanted to stone them. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. When, when uh, you can see what's happening here, you got two men in faith, you got three million in unbelief. And when you got a group of people in unbelief, when they hear faith people talk, it irritates them. It vexes them. We don't want to hear faith. We're, you know, we're, we're upset. You know, this, this is, God brought us out here to die. And we don't want to hear no faith talk from you about how we can go take this. Hadn't you heard the report? Hadn't you heard about those giants? Hadn't you heard about the walled cities? See, unbelief doesn't want to hear faith talk. And guess what? Faith people don't want to hear unbelief talk. That's why it irritates you when you're believing God and you know what the Word says and you hear somebody pipe up with some negative, unbelieving statement, it irritates you. It vexes you. So, it works both ways. So, doubt and unbelief doesn't like to be around faith people, and faith people don't like to be around doubt and unbelief. It happened here. It happened with Jesus. Every time the unbelieving Pharisees tried to corner Jesus, they tried to trap him, he would just heal somebody anyway. And it irritated them to no end. It absolutely infuriated them. 
every time, every time he just heals somebody anyway. So it happened then, it still happens now. Verse 11, and the Lord said unto Moses, how long will this people provoke me? Now, God's been listening to this for a few weeks now. <laughs> We're all going to die in the wilderness. Why did you bring us out here? Why didn't you just leave us alone in Egypt? We had the good times in Egypt. You know, why did you bring us out here to die? God's been listening to this for weeks and months now, and he's up to here with this stuff, and it is wearing him down. And he says... How long will this people provoke me? How long will it be that they, uh, ere they believe me for all the signs I have shown among them? Verse 12, And I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and make thee, Moses, a greater nation and mightier than they. God said, I'm going to disinherit these people, I'm going to wipe them out, and I'm going to start all over with you. Moses said, no. He said, no, you can't do that, Lord. He said, if you, if you do that, the Egyptians are going to hear about it. And they're going to say, your God could not take you into the land. So what did God do? He said, okay, I will do, where were we? Um, verse 20. So Moses here intercedes for the people. He says, no, Lord, don't wipe them out. If you do, the Egyptians are going to hear about it. They're going to mock you. They're going to say that you couldn't bring these people in. And in verse 20, And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to my word. Is that what he said? I have pardoned according to your word. Now whose words carried the most weight in this instance? What Moses said? Or what God said? Whose words carried the most weight? Moses. Moses. What Moses said in this situation carried more weight than what God himself said. Verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has another spirit... What spirit did Caleb have? The spirit of faith. Caleb had the spirit of faith. I believe, therefore, I have spoken. Him will I bring into the land, and his seed shall possess it. Now this is what we've been driving toward. Verse 28. He says, okay, I'm going to pardon, I'll pardon you. According to Moses' word, I'll pardon you. Um, verse 28, say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as ye have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. As you have spoken in my ears, so I will do to you. Not what I have spoken, I will do to you. What you have spoken, I will do to you. What's God going to do? What he said or what the people said? What the people said. 
He says, I'm going to do what I've been hearing these people say. It's, it was God's will that they go into the land. It was God's will that they possess it. Whose words are carrying more weight here? The people's words. What these people have said have totally, completely overridden what God said for them and about them. Now this verse, Numbers 14, 28, this is the Old Testament equivalent of Mark 11, 23. This is the Old Testament equivalent of what Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty three. If you say and don't doubt in your heart, you will have it. If you say and you don't doubt in your heart, you will have it. This is the Old Testament equivalent to what Jesus taught in Mark eleven twenty three. The new, excuse me, the new Revised Standard Version of this scripture says, I will do to you the very things I heard you say. And what the, that was a new Revised Standard Version. I will do to you the very things I heard you say. And what they said came to pass. What have they been saying? All this time in Exodus 14, in Exodus 16, in Numbers 13, what did they keep saying? We're all going to die out here. And God says, okay, I'm going to do according to what you have said. And every, everyone, Joshua and Caleb, they have a different spirit. They've got the spirit of faith. They say what I say. But everybody else, 20 years and younger, I'm going to do in your life what I heard you say. And you are indeed going to die in this wilderness. And folks, that is exactly what happened. They got exactly what they said. They didn't know Mark 11, 23 was in the Bible. It wasn't even in the Bible yet. But they got exactly what they said, according to Mark eleven twenty three, The plan of God was for that first generation to go in and possess the land and enjoy what he had prepared for them. But God could not persuade them to say what he said. Did they bring this wandering in the wilderness and ultimate death in the wilderness on themselves? Yes. Yeah, it was not the will of God. And I've even heard sermons on that. God forbid, let's don't go there. <laughs> but no, it was, not, it was not the plan of God for them to die in the wilderness. You know, if God was sovereign and he does what he wills anyway, then it wouldn't have mattered what these people said. God would have taken them in there anyway. So that... That disproves that little theory right there. Only Joshua and Caleb enjoyed it. Is it true that your words can alter the plan of God for your life? Yes. yes. All the scriptures we've looked at today bear that out, don't they? So um, let's just turn over 
quickly to our last verse, our last scripture, Joshua 14. Joshua 14. Hallelujah. Um, so here they are. This is 40 years later. Only Joshua and Caleb of that first generation are still alive. Everybody else is 20 years uh, and younger. Everybody else is younger people. They're the only two left of that first generation. And even though your words carry more weight in your life than anybody else, if you're involved with a group of people uh, who are in doubt and unbelief, they can't stop you, but they can hinder you. And they can delay you from getting to your wealthy place and to uh, uh, possessing what God says belongs to you. And so that's what happened to Joshua and Caleb. It didn't stop them. Being saddled with all these unbelieving people didn't stop them from getting to the promised land, but it delayed it 40 years. It delayed them getting there. And this is one reason why it's important where you go to church. Because where you go to church in these last days can mean the difference between life and death. And this is a very sobering thought. People are either, folks, people are either raising you up and they're taking you forward with them or they are holding you back and putting you down. And there's really not too much in between. People are either taking you forward, they're lifting you up, they're raising you up to a higher place, or they're, they're putting you down. They're either pulling you up out of the barrel, or they're holding you back at the bottom of the barrel with them. And you need to be able to discern that. But even though Joshua and Caleb were delayed 40 years by these unbelieving, complaining people, they never let go of God's word. And, and verse 8 says, Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me, uh, this is, I think this is, uh, this is Joshua or Caleb speaking, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Folks, that only took 10, ten people. Only the words of only 10 people turned at all, an almost entire generation of people out of the plan of God for their lives. The words of 10 men influenced and affected 3 million people because they listened to them. But he says, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Now we've talked about the effect of other people's words have on you. What about the effect of your words on other people? Do you realize that you could say something to somebody that would be the difference between them giving up or staying in faith? Yeah, that's why, you're, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. To get our faith to, to a level to where we can speak words that would absolutely influence other people to stay in faith and not give up. Hallelujah. Verse 9. Uh, Moses swear on that day, Surely the land whereon they have trodden shall be thine inheritance. These men, they never gave up. 
Even though it was delayed 40 years, God compensated them. Caleb said, I'm as strong today as I was 40 years ago. Let's go take this mountain. Hallelujah. Folks, 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, We, having the same spirit of faith, we believe, therefore we speak. Folks, we have the same spirit of faith Joshua and Caleb has had. Is there anything in your life worth going after and possessing? Are there things God expects us to go after and possess? Are there things God needs us to go after and possess? Yes. And it's going to take the same spirit of faith to do it that these people had. And that same spirit is in you and me. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's important what we say. It's important what we say, that we say what God says, because Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Now let's stand and let's say this together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Is it important what you say? Yes. <coughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's say this together. Every good word, Every good word. the Lord has spoken concerning me by faith. I agree with it. I say it will be done. I say it will be done. It will come to pass. It will come to pass. It will all come to pass. It will all come to pass. I will be glad in my heart. I will be glad in my heart. I will not talk negative. I will not talk negative. I will not talk death and defeat. I will not talk death and defeat. I only say what he says. I only say what he says. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. You know about one of the prophets in the Old Testament, it says not one of his words fell to the ground. In other words, it all came to pass. Everything he said came to pass. This is the way Jesus operated. Jesus never said anything that didn't come to pass. Not one of his words fell to the ground. And folks, that's where we want to get to. We want to get to the place where our words carry weight. And they begin to affect things. And the way we do that is to, to not speak these idle, thoughtless, throwaway comment words. Amen? And come to the place when, when you command something to move, it's bless God going to move. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.